You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for joining us today for AOA. If you've taken a look at the commodity markets, you might have noticed there is a bit of a slide going on. We're going to talk to Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing here in segment two about what's going on in the grains. And then in segment three, we're going to dive into protein. Lance Zimmerman of Robo Agri Finance is going to join us. We're going to talk about what barbecue costs have done here ahead of that 4th of July holiday. And finally, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about what's happening on the ground in South Dakota as the survey work begins for these carbon pipelines with Dominic Dosh of the Sioux Falls Argus Leader. Before we dive into all of that, and perhaps to help set us up on why the grain market is sliding so hard today, we're going to kick off today's conversation with Greg Solier, meteorologist on This Week and in Agribusiness. And Greg, I'm guessing we've got some rain in the forecast here. Yeah, it's not rain, rain, go away. It's rain, rain, come our way, please. And it will be doing just that uh, with a, uh, not a complete one, but some semblance of, uh, boy, weeks gone by, finally, a significant pattern shift across uh, not only a couple of spots uh, in the country, but right up the heartland here and across the Corn Belt and back into the plains here with a very favorable uh, setup. Uh, not initially, and it's not going to take one or two little waves to get things where we need to be, but it is a marked improvement of getting Gulf moisture disturbances, the whole soup uh, to nuts uh, setup here on getting outbreaks of showers and thunderstorms on a repetitive basis, mind you, uh, across the heartland of the plains uh, initially this weekend, but more so for later in next week and beyond. All right, Greg. Well, this is good news for a lot of those growers across well, from the northern plains all the way to Ohio grappling with this drought. As we head into the weekend, it looks like, Greg, we've got a little bit of a disturbance across the northern plains. Is there is there much of a severe risk here on Friday? Uh, yes, there is, matter of fact, an enhanced risk uh, anywhere from uh, just north of the Black Hills. And I tell you what, some of those folks there on some of the rainfall the past 24 to 36 hours uh, in some of those pasture lands areas uh, from the Black Hills to the east and northeast have come up with anywhere from an inch to as much as three inches and some pretty good rains at the current time kind of lined up right along uh, the western half of the Dakotas, the Missouri River, and spreading south towards that Sioux Empire Corn Palace region later on today. But the Black Hills uh, into about North Platte, back uh, west to about the foothills of Wyoming and Colorado, and as far south as just about the Oklahoma Panhandle, a pretty fur piece of real estate expected to be looking at enhanced uh, potential for severe weather. That's up there out of a category one to five. That's about a four in severity. So we're going to be looking at some large hail damaging wind this afternoon. But that's the trade-off. And that's what we've experienced in a lot of these Plain States areas where we've had some drought improvement. You know, it's either come down all at once. You get multi-inch rains in one spot, a half dozen drops in the other. But by and large, it's been uh, the uh, really the former around here where it's been more severe than anything. But again, you get that significant rain on a recurring repetitive basis. You do get... Uh, inroads uh, to the drought improvement scenario. And that has been the story west of the Missouri and across the parts of the northern and central plains over the past couple of weeks. All right, Greg, that's the story west of the Missouri River. Let's look east of the Missouri River. We've seen the trade grow very concerned about soil moisture uh, composition here in the eastern parts of the Corn Belt. I know we've got this pattern shift. At last I saw it looked like Illinois might still be the hole in the donut on this rain that's coming. Greg, is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it'll spread to the north, including 
including some of the uh, moderate to severe drought areas of Wisconsin and Michigan that should come up with about a quarter to three quarters of an inch in fair or good coverage. That would be about 50 to 70 percent there. And that's nothing to shake a stick at compared to what we've had here on weeks gone by. Virtually nothing. Last weekend, there was expectation of rain through the heart of Illinois and Indiana. Didn't happen. It was south of I-70 towards I-64. We think this weekend, a quarter to half and probably just scattered a fair coverage in those same central Illinois, Indiana areas. It is raining, by the way, in the parts of Ohio, just enough to barely settle the dust out there. Uh, but it's beyond that uh, into perhaps uh, Sunday, Monday with somewhat better odds into the central areas of the Corn Belt. Still nothing to write home about. Some folks will get missed. It's still another scattered day's worth of rain. But it's late next week into the following weekend and towards that 4th of July and the early stretch of July where we do see a marked improvement. I think some of the models are a little bit too aggressive on some of the rainfall totals. That's typical. That's normal. Whether you're looking at that European model or the Canadian model or uh, the, the GFS, we kind of still do things a little on the older school but methodologies, but it works around here. Uh, but you combine some of that model data, and we are certainly more uh, bullish on rainfall, bearish on market. I think that's what our friend Max Armstrong uh, laid out and played out for us uh, yesterday. And that's what, what we anticipate around here. Hopefully it comes in the nick of time for corn. It's really the beans that are struggling from our uh, friend Dennis uh, Michelson down there in Danville, Illinois. The beans are looking horrible. The corn is holding on there as best it could. And that's pretty much the scenario I think that we see over the Eastern Corn Belt. But uh, yeah, we, we anticipate probably one to two, maybe some spots, three inches of rain, but that's late next week uh, for towards the 4th of July holiday and into the following week and a kind of cumulative setup in those central Corn Belt locales. Again, it will be down to the wire, virtually million dollar rains to put it in perspective in some of those eastern Corn Belt locales down the line over the next uh, 10 to 12 days. All right, Greg, as we get farther deeper into summer, we know that the tropics typically do tend to accelerate. We see uh, tropical storms and hurricanes develop. I know sometimes they can track their way into the Mississippi Valley and bring the eastern Corn Belt some moisture. Is there anything on, on your horizon that could indicate that might be coming? Yeah, it, it's really a trade-off this year because we've got El Nino, the warming of the waters of the Pacific. El Nino strengthen the winds in the tropical Atlantic. You don't want strong winds because you need to bring the air in. you got to kind of suck it out and bring it up into the atmosphere, uh, upper atmosphere and spread it out. But when the winds are strong up aloft, you what we call lop off the chops of the or chop, chop off the tops of the thunderstorm clouds and you kind of screw up that whole uh, in and out process of moving uh, low pressure and developing circulations across the tropical Atlantic. But at the same time, the southwest Atlantic and the Gulf, incredibly uh, warm, downright hot in the Gulf of Mexico. That's the eastern flank of that 115 degree heat in Texas baking those waters. So we think it's the Gulf in the far southwest Atlantic, the southern and southwestern Caribbean that need to be watched uh, here in the coming probably uh, two or three weeks. There are systems in the Atlantic, but we think they're going to fall apart. There's Brett and Cindy. They have no bearing on us right now. It's just been a, kind of a loggerhead of weather systems stuck in the southeast that has prevented, uh, prevented any significant Gulf moisture working northward. That changes again late next week in that rainier spell going forward in through July. And we anticipate not only that scenario, a more normalized rainfall pattern, but there will be some tropical systems out of the Gulf into the Mississippi Valley up the Ohio that we think that later in through July and August for maybe later beans and especially corn that will help to keep temperatures down, uh, moisture up as we see it right now. And again, two areas for the eastern and southern Corn Belt and the 
northern and central plains. Uh, maybe the western section still need to be watched with dryness and drought. But it is, again, overall more positive um, with regard to rainfall prospects across a good part of the heartland, the plains to the Corn Belt here in the next uh, well, maybe one to two months. Greg, before we let you go, we've seen that deluge of moisture across the Texas-Oklahoma panhandles. Is that expected to continue? Are you watching for more uh, severe weather in that neck of the woods? Absolutely. Well, we just got to try and bust that atmospheric cap. Uh, it's just too warm for now over a wide area of Texas, but just north of there, big storms, Oklahoma, right here from the south. That will continue on, and probably after a bit of a lull early to next, next week, we'll get back into more stormy action there and across the Gulf Coast of the Delta region as well. So but the, the worst of the heat for now as we see it right now, Texas, Oklahoma, the southwestern states. Again, more positive news on the rainfall developments for the Plains and Corn Belt. Folks, keep an eye on the sky. Meteorologist Greg Solier keeps us updated. Thanks for joining us today, Greg, as always, with your insight. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Stick around, folks. We'll talk markets with Dwayne Bussey when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Why do you listen? Anytime I'm talking to a friend about new music and I don't know what it is, it's probably because they were listening to the radio and I wasn't. I'm nosy. I like to know what's going on, and radio usually is right there telling me what and when is going on and where it's going on. Well, listen in the barn, skid loader, tractor, and just about anywhere you can. When you put the lights on on the barn, the radio went on. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. 
Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues, and we're going to turn our focus to that delicate balance between weather and markets. We heard from Greg Solier there. There are opportunities for rain across much of the Corn Belt, central parts of the plains here in the coming week to 10 days. And there might be great news for those growers watching crops wither up in the field, but traders are watching these expectations, and they are, as expected, selling corn, beans, and wheat. Joining us now to bring us up to speed on what's moving in the grains and livestock market. Markets is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. You know, speaking of the moisture, I understand South Dakota might be in line for a, a shot of rain here over today, tomorrow. Dwayne, is that right? Yeah, we are actually really excited about the forecast this weekend. We got a half inch yesterday afternoon. Looks like it's going to start raining here now, especially in the west and central. Maybe a little bit of severe stuff, but, you know, this time of year, you, you'll take whatever you can get, you know, crop condition wise. The quotas were down really hard this last week, and rightfully so. The drought's definitely starting to hit us up here, even though we had all that horrible snow before. Um, so, no, I, yeah, all smiles. Everyone's excited about the weekend and the potential, maybe one to two inches locally, it looks like, and in over a couple-day period. So about perfect. I, I don't mean to rub that in anyone else's faces, but it, it is looking good in the Dakotas right now. Well, and it's it's all smiles when you're taking a look at that rain falling on these parched fields, Dwayne. But those smiles disappear when you pull up your phone and take a look at the markets. <laughs> We've got corn down 30 cents here, beans down 30 to 40, wheat also big losses on the day. We're selling hard here into the weekend. Dwayne, is this a time for producers to get some hedges on or or do we wait for it to bounce back next week? I, I wouldn't wait for it. I, I know it is so easy to just say, wow, I, I can't sell on a down 30 day. And it's probably the most difficult thing to do when it comes to hedging, but but concentrate on the price. D's corn right now is 590. On the way up, I was a happy seller at 585. So if you didn't sell then because you were bullish on the weather, you can still sell now and be a little bit above that price target for me. So no, I, I wouldn't wait. I mean, I understand, you know, Sunday night, Monday, um, if the forecast is continued hot and dry for Illinois, this rallies back up, but I don't know. You and I have been around and seen this enough. It it feels like we're tipping the other way right now with the forecast, and and the market sure believes it as well. Dwayne, I'm glad you mentioned Illinois there. I'd like to talk to you about what the what the trade is watching most closely here in this particular weather environment. Forecast going forward, you mentioned a lot of the Corn Belt expected to see some opportunity for rain. Illinois remains dry, and how dry does Illinois need to get to keep this rally moving to the upside in the corn market? Boy, I, I'd say almost exceptionally hot and dry because I think what we're going to see is the, the drought area just start to shrink. Uh, you know, the Dakotas were bad, I think, after this weekend. We're not a non-event, but not 
not an event for the futures market to worry about. What I'm seeing in the weather maps, you know, I only like to look about five days out, if I'm being honest with you, Mike, because that's more accurate. Now, Iowa's got a really good shot of some rain and in the northern half, I would say, for the next five days. Uh, so the drought area is going to shrink is my concern. Um, but no, Illinois is obviously a very key state. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. It'll maybe support the market. But I'm worried this afternoon you can find out in the commitment of traders report that the funds went very heavily long on this recent rally. And now they might be caught on the wrong side once again. And, and if there's any thought of rain in the forecast, they may sell this off. And we might be back down to lows before we know it. Dwayne, let's talk about the, those technical levels where we could find support if this forecast were to verify. You mentioned the lows in corn December. Refresh my memory. What are we, 460 as a low? Yeah, well, December corn got down about 491 back on the 18th of May, and we've rallied since then all the way up to about 630 something yesterday or just two days ago. I'm sorry. You know, for support, I'm thinking of anyway is, you know, back at the 20 day moving average, which is, you know, 555 and trending higher. So that's quite a bit lower. There is a gap at 535 um, would not shock me at all. If we fill that before next week, uh, the next week is over, you know, by the end of next week, I'm trying to say. So I, there's support down there, but it's a ways down there, Mike, I'm afraid. That is. We're talking 50, 60 cents to the downside, potentially. Dwayne, same question to you. We've got November new crop soybeans dancing at that $13 handle as we speak. As you mm -hmm. look out over the weekend, again, we got a little more time for this soybean crop. How, how aggressive are you at hedging on, on new crop beans? Yeah, I'm not as aggressive as I am on the corn. The corn, uh, I'm 60% hedged and thinking that's almost not enough, which whenever it's down, we're all going to say that as producers. But soybeans, you know, we did have a decent export sales for old crop soybeans. New crop, very poor, though, as the Brazil crop continues to hang on there. Um, but I'm still a seller. Uh, I'm bearish. I, I think, sadly, we can pull back to probably that 12.45 area, which there again, that's another 55 cents down from the down 40 cents today before we find some support and worry about beans as well. I mean, now I, I guess if you want a little ray of hope next Friday, a big, you know, June 30th acreage and stocks report, you know, I've always been one saying, I don't think we have this many principal crop acres, but Mike, the problem is even if I take acres off, yield off due to a drought in Illinois, our export demand is so poor, it's just going to offset what anything USDA does as far as decreasing our supply moving forward. So that's why I've, I've turned from such a bull this winter, think we'll have a rally to sell to, oh, we got to sell this rally and reward it really hard. Yeah, let's talk about what uh, what narratives could develop here, Dwayne. If we get this moisture, if the weather market narrative stops mattering as much to these managed money traders, as you mentioned, they're going to look around for other stories right. here in the world of commodities. And boy, that export story, particularly on corn, is a downer. Dwayne, are, are we seeing Brazilian corn just push American corn exports out of the market? Probably. Absolutely. We got to remember... Yeah, that's exactly what we were trading back when we were at 490 D's corn, right? We didn't have a drought scare to, to trade and we were trading the fundamentals and the supply and demand side of things. And demand looked poor and Brazil's got this big crop coming, you know, and, and yeah, now we've traded all weather. It's been all weather, all concentrated. And now we probably shift back the other way. No, Brazil's got a huge crop. They had a huge record crop of soybeans. Looks like the corn crop's going to be huge as well. And yeah, we were the highest priced corn in the world before we started this rally. Man, I, I hate to be such a bear on a Friday. Nobody likes that, but it, there's not a lot of good fundamentals when we go back to trading those, that's for sure.
Dwayne, I, I want to turn the focus. You, you don't want to be a bear. Let's find if we can see a a, a, a silver lining in here. And yes. we've got feeder cattle on the rebound. 30, 40 cent down move in corn brings those feeders right back to uh, the starring place here in the commodity markets. Is this a time for those end users to be locking in some feed needs? Or in their case, do you wait and see if these rains verify and can maybe pick some up a little cheaper? I, I, I can't. I think they can actually wait. You know, I, Hedgers are hedgers, you know, if it works for their numbers that they can sure go ahead and do it. But I, I am seeing sharply lower prices by this fall. And I think that's when they can lock in their feed needs. Now, if they need it before then, I would just suggest go hand to mouth. Might be a little hard getting out of some of the producers that have the old crop left, that's for sure. But yeah, that feeder market's looking great today. Actually, we gapped higher and made an island bottom in, in like August feeders, which Technically, is a very good sign. We should be able to get back up maybe to like 237. That's where the 20-day moving average, I'd kind of target that. So another three bucks even beyond this rally here. So yeah, nice rally there. Demand is still very strong for those cash calves. And, and as it rains in like the Western Plains, Western Nebraska, you know, I, I think you're going to see huge demand for heifer retention here this fall and they'll want to rebuild their herds. So yeah, definitely optimistic on the feeder cattle side of things. But you're also right by saying we get back up to that 245 area, something like that. It's all right to do some hedging and protect. That's a lot of capital investment in these cattle nowadays. It is. I mean, that is absolutely no lie. 245 feeders. Whew, that is a price we don't see all that often. Dwayne, and of course, it's a Friday. Every Friday, it seems the conversation turns to what's developing in the cash cattle trade. We continue to watch mm -hmm. live cattle dancing around in this record territory. Do we have any updates on cash trade so far this week, Dwayne? I, from what I've seen uh, higher, um, you know, the three to four higher, maybe even from last week, but it depends if you're looking at the USA numbers, you had some days that were down sharply last week. So that's, we're up three or four from there. So that 184 area, I think I believe that was what I saw. Uh, what I, what I can tell you about the cash cattle market and the cattle market in general is the carcass weights were down sharply this week. Uh, I think that happened because Packers pulled their own cattle in that weren't quite ready just to fill those kill lines because we had a really big slaughter number last week, but they weren't really quite finished. So they're trying to fill this little production hole here, this little gap in production that we have to get to when these calf supplies come in. And they are going to come in, though. So I think we're going to have a little bit higher market, a bounce back. But those highs we made a couple weeks ago probably hold. I'm worried that spring highs are in. All right. Spring highs might be in. We've got some more turbulence. It sounds like they're in the world of live cattle. We'll see how demand can stack up as we get deeper into summer. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about next with Lance Zimmerman of Robo Research, what they're watching in their barbecue index. But as always, we enjoy picking the brain of Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing up there in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, as always, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thanks, Mike. Have a good weekend. You do as well. And folks, stick around. Lance Zimmerman, Robo Research, will join us here on AOA in just a few moments. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. 
Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at the market trade on this Friday, more profit-taking being seen here in the grain and oilseed trade with double-digit losses holding here in cord soybeans and in a few of the wheat contracts as well. Really, it just appears that traders are not taking any chances heading into the weekend and taking more profit here off the table, and they'll reassess the Sunday weather maps as we get into next week. There are rains in the 6- to 10-day forecast for the dry Midwest, with some of them now working their way into the 5-day outlook. We've been here before, though. The rains have disappointed. We'll have to see if those rains verify. Illinois currently the most in need of rain out of the bunch, but wide coverage will be needed, and so far weekend rains uh, are looking spotty in Illinois. There is a good chance for rains in parts of the northern plains in Minnesota and in Iowa this weekend as well, and then some sneaking into parts of northern Illinois. We'll have to see if that does come to fruition or not. So again, a little bit of a wetter weather model and really just taking some risk off the table here in grains and oil seeds as we work through our Friday session, kind of just continuing to follow through from Thursday's sell-off as well. There's a lot of range of possibilities for the national average for quarter soybean yields. It's pretty wide yet in June, but the odds are arguing for those national average yields to slide below trend levels after we've seen this hot, dry weather stress crops in many parts of the Corn Belt. Now, meantime, in the livestock trade, fairly mixed action there. Feeder cattle benefiting with some triple-digit gains amid corn being cheaper, while live cattle and uh, lean hogs are a bit mixed. The cattle trade overall really uh, probably squaring up positions here on Friday ahead of the cattle on feed report, which will be out after the close. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and as we have been talking about so much for the past four months, we're going to bring our focus back to the cost of food that you are eating. Food inflation continues to be a huge concern for consumers across this country, and they are going to confront it a lot here over the next 10 days as they prepare for a lot of those 4th of July barbecues. Joining us now for an update on what you might expect to see if you hit up the grocery store over the next 10 days is Lance Zimmerman. He serves as the senior beef analyst with Robbo Research, works together on a team that puts out the Robbo Bank Barbecue Index. We're going to talk about what he's watching there. Lance, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on AOA today. Good morning, Mike. Happy to be here. Before we dive into the numbers here for this mo most recent Robbo Bank Barbecue Index, Lance, if you would, tell us a little bit about the index. What is it you're all trying to capture here with this data? Yeah, well, we're in the heart of grilling season, right? And as obviously the cattle and, and beef market analyst for Rabo, uh, it may be my favorite time of the year. Uh, you know, we just came out of Memorial Day and Father's Day, two big grilling holidays. And uh, as you mentioned, Independence Day and Labor Day are right around the corner to kind of usher in the second half of that season. And so what we did at Rabobank, I always say that our research team here in North America is like the Avengers. Every single analyst has their own unique talent, their own unique area, but at the end of the day, we can work together to pull together some really great research and insight for the food and ag community. And that's really what this index captures. We look at a variety of different goods that would be kind of in the traditional grocery basket going into uh, 4th of July, whether it's ground beef and chicken breast from an animal protein standpoint or burger buns and cheese slices and tomatoes and lettuce that would all go on those sandwiches to rounding out the meal with some ice cream and, and not leaving out other items like potato chips, beer, and soda. And just looking at what's the cost of that basket look like as, as we navigate going forward here. Well, and Lance, I mean, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to our audience that the costs in those baskets are climbing. But frankly, the the scale of these jumps are pretty impressive. What do you what do you think we're going to see for this most recent report? Yeah, you know, as you dig into the report, what you notice is some items that actually with your audience, being in the ag community, some of these cost increases aren't incredibly shocking, right? Uh, and when you look at kind of pre-pandemic to where we are today, you have items like hamburger buns, chicken breasts, soda and potato chips kind of leading the charge in terms of their price increases. Some of those items increased more than 50% in that four-year period. Then you have other items that only now are, are starting to increase, beef being one of those. You have other items that are coming off of their highs. A lot of those items in the dairy space, you know, they've been up 20, 25% over the last four years in total. Uh, they're going to start to soften as we navigate going forward. And so it's really interesting to think how the different pieces in this puzzle come together, what's influenced them. And obviously for items like chicken with high path avian influenza and some of their production challenges, no shock they're coming off of their highs. Items like hamburger buns with wheat doing what it is today and the condition of that crop and harvest really ramping up through the central plains. No shock that bun prices are as high as they are and they're probably going to stay pretty high. And then items like ground beef, 
they're only starting to lean into their aggressive price increases. And we're probably going to see higher prices on the beef side of the meat case for the next several years going forward for all those factors we've talked about before on the show. Lance, I know for the barbecue index, you're specifically tracking ground beef, the the meat that's going to be used to make those delicious hamburgers. But I'm wondering if in your capacity as a beef analyst, you've got any insight on what you're seeing with the muscle cut pricing, retail level uh, muscle cuts for beef. Have you seen those prices continue to accelerate or, or is that what you're hearing through the system? They are, you know, as you look at it, and I think one of the things that that we got to realize is, you know, the steak items remain in demand. Um, You know, for all the things that we talked about coming into 2023, we knew prices were going to be higher. But almost all the analysts out there, myself included, sat back and said, most of that price increase is probably going to come from tighter supplies, not necessarily good demand, because we saw all the consumer headwinds facing us. Well, the reality is we're sitting here today. We have retail data all the way through the end of May. Demand January through May will still be the third highest in the last 30 years. Uh, The only two years higher in this three-decade stretch were last year, which was the all-time high in that 30-year stretch, and 2021. And so demand is holding up exceptionally well, and as you can expect, holding up exceptionally well for some of those higher-quality middle meat items as well. Uh, But what's interesting, Mike, is while everyday prices now are are teetering back towards year-ago levels, uh, and even, in fact, May prices were about 2 2.5% above year-ago levels, ad prices are remaining very competitive. Grocery stores recognize that the center of the plate still drives the shopper in the store. And so through May, we still saw year-over-year declines in advertised beef prices. So don't just take the meat case price at face value. Retailers are making sure they put some deals in front of the consumer to keep them coming in the store. Lance, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it helps put into context something you'd mentioned earlier, which absolutely stunned me, which was the price increases you've seen on things like potato chips, beer, and soda. So this seems as though grocery stores are using those those proteins perhaps as a loss leader and then making up those losses with those uh, extra sales. Is that is that what you anticipate is happening here? I think so. And I think we are going through a period of, of- volatility still, right? We, we know how all the factors that led to those price increases the last few years. It started as supply chain disruptions. Then it became higher labor costs. Then it became higher energy costs. Uh, then it became global disruptions and domestic production disruptions, right? The case of wheat's a perfect example. Some of that's due to just challenges in the U.S., being able to produce a wheat crop like we're used to, Part of it's also the fact that the global wheat market is explosive with the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And so you see some of these items are certainly going to start adjusting lower, but retailers are generally slower to back those price increases back off. They want the market to prove itself, right? Prove to us that these costs aren't going up anymore. And then once the market proves that that downtrend is in place, they slowly start adjusting and passing those discounts on. And so I do think some of these items have stayed stickier at their highs than others, and that's allowed them to make money elsewhere than maybe perhaps just the meat case. Lance, how often does Robber Research plan to put out the barbecue index? Will it be a year-round report, or are you just going to focus on it during the summer? I think we're going to focus on it once a year. Uh, I think our goal is next year, uh, now that we kind of have this inaugural edition under our belt, to get it out in front of consumers in that late spring period as we all start planning Memorial Day uh, festivities. But uh, we've recognized that 
as we've come out of the pandemic, we've all geared up. Uh, one of the fascinating things about uh, the pandemic that I found was just the Google searches for the word pellet grill were two times higher in the years post-pandemic than they were the two years pre-pandemic. And so we got grills, we got smokers, we got flat tops, we got air fryers. And so I think the momentum around grilling season has certainly picked up. And I think that interest in this type of understanding, this type of information is, is at a new high. And so uh, you can expect us to have this discussion each year as we roll into this season. All right. Well, that is going to be fascinating. The amount of dollars spent on grilling equipment over the last three years, Lance, is staggering. And I think you're right. That gives those uh, those owners a long-term incentive to continue monitoring what's happening here in the meat case. Before we let you go, though, I do want to pick your brain a little bit. You spend most of your time researching the beef situation here in North America. And Lance, of course, we've got a cattle on feed report coming out a little bit later today. As you watch this summer in the beef side, what are you expecting to see here as this goes on? Yeah, you know, one of the things we don't necessarily cover it in the barbecue index, but one of the things I've been telling everyone is, you know, we're within a, a nickel of the all-time highs in beef prices. Those highs came in October of 2021 as restaurants were coming back online from those shutdowns. Um, it seems like it's near certainty that as we look at the June retail report and then those other reports that come down the road, we're going to be talking about new all-time beef highs more often than not. And again, it's a reflection of the tighter supply. We talk about the cattle on feed report coming out today. I think this one will be relatively benign. I think it's it's going to perform about like we would have expected with the pre-report estimates, a little bit smaller on slaughter, a little bit smaller on placements, but overall pretty darn close to a year ago. Um, as we go forward, those declines are going to become more prevalent, especially as we talk about summer placements and fall, especially if we continue to get some rain through the central plains like we have favorably over the last several months. Uh, it won't be a, a an aggressive rebuild on the front end, much like the, the retailer, right? The producer wants Mother Nature to prove it to him. But I do think we'll start leaning into keeping just a few more heifers back than we had in the previous years. Keep a few more cows around, give them a free pass because the price trend has been so sharply higher to start this year. We're finally starting to make the cattle producer whole again from a margin perspective. We're making the cattle producer whole. It's been a long time coming for that to change. But Lance, do packers still have the incentive to run slaughter as, as fast as they have been? You know, it's interesting. As we look at 2023, weekday slaughter is nearly identical to a year ago. In fact, in some respects, on the fed cattle side, uh, Monday through Friday slaughter is actually slightly higher than a year ago when you remove those holiday days. Um, but we've pulled out our Saturday slaughter. Uh, and I think that uh, that's usually an indication that the cattle producer is starting to gain bargaining power, gain leverage in the marketplace, is when the packer doesn't have to run as aggressively on Saturday. Uh, that means the cattle producer has a little bit more of the upper hand in negotiating. And we're starting to see that. Uh, the processing oh, really? segment, they're doing, they're doing well, but I think it's going to start to make that transition. All right. Well, that will be a good switch for those cattle feeders, cow-calf producers out there in the countryside. Folks, we have been talking with Lance Zimmerman, the senior beef analyst at Robo Research. Lance, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk about the situation on the ground in South Dakota developing this week as those pipeline crews begin surveying. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA 
agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Dylan Tacky, an agronomy specialist with CHS, about agronomic strategies for the growing season. Why should farmers create crop plans, and what does an effective crop plan look like? Like any good business, you should always make sure before we do something that we have our plan laid out, know where our dollars are going to. You know, the crop market, it changes daily, every second. The same can happen with the fertilizer market, chemical market. So we need to know that we're being sure that what we're putting out there before we do, it makes sense because it's going to make us money at the end of the day. Starting in the fall, you know, we're putting together our plan to get fields grid sampled, looking at fertility, and then making our map and potash racks. Then from there, we'll go into next spring. So that's putting the right seed portfolio together based off what those soil samples are showing us, making sure we're using the right nitrogen and the type of nitrogen and rates and the timing of it. And then the next is our chemical program, making sure we're doing it either in a no-till program or a till program, followed by a post-emerge program. And then also what we're going to be doing for foliar feeds, plant growth regulators, all those good things, and then a the fungicide application to follow it. Dylan, what solutions are you recommending for this year's agronomic challenges? You know, in a corn plant, I like to say no bad days. We've got products to try to help eliminate stress off the plant by any means that we can. That all starts, too, with the farm plan. We know whether we've got too much heat, drought, too cold, we're going to have some sort of stress. So going back to your first question, Mike, we're making sure that we're putting those products in there so we can pair for them. What are some simple ways growers can improve their return on input investment? 
studying and working with a trustworthy agronomy sales rep. The only way that you're going to know if something works is doing it for yourself on your own operation, on your own acres. That's Dylan Tacky, agronomy specialist with CHS. Dylan, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was a pleasure. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now we're focusing our attention onto the state of South Dakota. For the past several years, carbon capture and sequestration projects have been grabbing some headlines, including two t pipeline proposals that would cross through the central part of the United States, basically across the northern Corn Belt. North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois all could be impacted by these. And we've seen some movement start up in South Dakota. Survey crews began getting on farms, and it has unleashed some tensions between landowners and these survey crews. Joining us now to fill us in on what's happening up in South Dakota is Dominic Dosh. He is the Ag and, and Environment Reporter for the Sioux Falls Argus Leader. Dominic, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Let's start with what's happening this week. Dominic, we started to see some folks crossing onto private property. They're doing surveys. Fill us in on what's happening on the ground in South Dakota. Sure. Um, so Summit Carbon Solutions, uh, it's wanting to build its you know, $4.5 billion pipeline in South Dakota to, you know, for their overall project of um, you know, sequestering carbon. You know, it's, it's part of the you know, climate initiative. Um, for them, it's also a benefit in terms of you know, being able to pull from federal tax credit money. Um, but, you know, they're part of their process in order to, you know, to build these um, carbon sequestration pipelines is, you know, they need to go ahead and be able to survey land um, to know, you know, where it's going to be built, um, to know the viability of that land in the first place. So what you're seeing in South Dakota is um, survey crews going out, um, sometimes with uh, uh, surveying tripods, sometimes with uh, you know, large drilling rigs, um, geotechnical drilling rigs that are used to for, you know, for a variety of things, you know, we're talking um, soil sampling, you know, testing um, the, the soil, not just, you know, wh maybe where their uh, pipeline would be built, um, potentially, uh, but also just in, in the general area is, is uh, you know, what they're, what they're bringing. So, you know, you, they're going to bring, you know, they, they brought these drilling rigs out, you know, onto farmland. Um, there's been a little bit of concern from, you know, farmers, you know, well, 
is the surveying, you know, is it, 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 it looks, you know, a little, um, it, you know, it looks, it, it looks to be a lot more than I had expected to see. Dominic, yeah. My understanding was that surveying was allowed to begin even without landowner permission. Is that is that accurate up in South Dakota as of now? That that is accurate. Um, they they were allowed to begin because you know they got a court order um, from a, a, a South Dakota judge in uh, you know about mid April um, that allows them to you know for landowners and I'll be specific here uh, for landowners that you know are opposed to the pipeline um, that, you know, uh, didn't want, that didn't agree to this, um, you know, they, they needed to be able to uh, essentially, you know, survey land, um, regardless, you know, regardless of whether or not they agreed to it, um, you know, there's an ethics <laughs> question there. Um, but basically, they needed that court or they, they acquired that they were able to get that court order in order to um, uh, be able to survey land. Uh, gotcha. Let me make sure I understand the situation. So uh, we had a couple of bills in South Dakota try to block the carbon pipelines. I understand they failed earlier in the legislative session, which means now we've just got to go with the South Dakota law on eminent domain and surveying, which a judge in April said survey crews don't need landowners permission. They can move ahead with these surveys. And I've been stunned, Dominic, you touched on it there briefly, by what these surveys entail. I would have imagined it's three guys in orange vest with transit levels and a tripod shooting lines. But as you mentioned, this is some pretty technical and heavy duty stuff. Are they just driving across farm fields to do these surveys that you've seen? I mean, in, in some cases that we've seen, uh, they have been, you know, taking their um, large scale uh, drilling rigs to farms in order to, you know, do those surveys. I wouldn't necessarily call that the norm. Um, I don't know how often they are doing that. Uh, uh, the situation you, situation you described of, you know, just the three guys going out, we have seen that before. Um, you know, that depends on, on I guess, I, I assume to be, you know, depending on uh, what kind of um, surveying they're trying to do. Uh, you know, not not every survey is going to be as intensive as the other. Um, one, you know, situation uh, in Aberdeen has been, or not in Aberdeen, but in Brown County, uh, has been getting some particular attention because of uh, uh you know, a large-scale drilling rig was brought out um, to one farmer's uh, land. This particular farmer, Jared Bosley, um, there's been specific tensions there because uh, uh, Summit Carbon, um, you know, said that, uh, you know, in, in I think on May 3rd, he made an alleged threat to uh, uh, survey crews that were out there, to, to surveyors. Um, following that situation, uh, you know, he, he denied it. Um, he was... Uh, as a result of that was going to be held in um, contempt of court, uh, you know, in contempt of that order. Uh, he was absolved of, or, you know, he, he, he wasn't held in contempt. Uh, he was released of those charges, um, but they basically decided on a date uh, to do those charges or, or to, <laughs> excuse me, to go ahead with the surveying. And so that's what we had seen, uh, you know, from June 20th to June 21st, they had actually gone out there with their large scale drilling rigs and started drilling on his land. Okay, and I think I think those were some of the pictures I saw floating around on social media. Certainly grabbed some people's attention with the size and scale of some of that equipment. Dominic, look out over the summer. We're a week into these surveys really beginning in earnest across South Dakota. Is there a concerted opposition developing on the ground that you've heard from? Yeah, I mean, there's been a opposition to you know CO2 pipelines in South Dakota uh, since day one. Um, I think what Summit Carbon would tell you is that. They have acquired most of their easements. So basically they frame it in the idea of we've acquired the majority. So, you know, maybe I, I can't say the specific number, 
but let's just say 70%. We have, they, they would say we have 70%, we have the majority. Um, these 30% landowners that are not, you know, on board with this or 20%, whatever they would want to say, um, you know, they, they are a group that is uh, specifically opposed to this. Uh, so, you know, th there is a concerted opposition right now. Um, there is, you know, th their reaction would be they are, you know, very upset about this, this kind of, it, it's really an existential threat to them is, is the way they see it. You know, it's been building up since, um, you know, day one, like I said, uh, but, you know, after those two bills died uh, in, in uh, the first legislative session, um, and now coming back to the surveys today, you know, this this is really a, a, a big question for South Dakota. How do we move yeah. forward on carbon pipelines? It's coming to a head. We'll continue to keep track of what's developing there on the ground in South Dakota and in other Midwestern states. Our thanks to Dominic Baff for joining us today from the Argus Leader. Folks, tune in next time for more AOA right here. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.